today as we continue the series, Greater Than, I want to do something that I've seen other pastors do. And they do it very successfully. They, they do this, this, this little engagement as they begin their message. And they, they tell people, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to tap your neighbor and tell them they look beautiful. Like, no, no, that's not what I want you to do. That's what they do. Right? Tell your neighbor they look beautiful. And people all laugh. You look beautiful. Um, tell your, and then they say, say to your neighbor, I'm glad you came to church today. I don't want you to do that. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to, t- like, tap your neighbor on the shoulder and tell him your biggest failure. I knew it wouldn't work if I tried it. I knew it wouldn't work at all. So you don't have to talk about your biggest failure today, but I am. You don't have to tell your neighbor what your biggest failure is, but I'm going to talk to you about God's take on our failure and that Jesus is greater than, never less than, never equal to. He's greater than any and all of our failures. In fact, as we've studied through the Bible, we've seen this common thread of Scripture of God pursuing us despite our failure. As we open the book of Genesis and God created the world and everything in it and it was good, what did Adam and Eve do? Adam and Eve failed big time. They sinned and brought sin upon the whole world. And so we keep reading through the Old Testament and we see God's system for dealing with sin and God's system for restoring fellowship. There was a series of sacrifices and offerings that were to be made. A series of events where God showed he pursued his people even as they were wandering in the wilderness. They had a meeting place, a tabernacle with God. And then we roll into the New Testament and we see that the Old Testament system couldn't solve the sin problem in the world. It could only put a band-aid on it, so to speak. And so what did God do? God sent his son, Jesus, so that we could have life and so that we could be forgiven. And we roll through the New Testament. We see how the church is born in the book of Acts. And then we roll through the epistles, the letters of Paul to people and to churches. And then we roll into where we are now in the book of Hebrews and beyond. Eventually, we'll get to the book of Revelation where we'll see that God, once and for all, deals with, judges the failure of mankind. See, the story of Scripture, one of the major threads is, what's God think about our failure? What's God do to overcome our failure? What's God do to prove that Jesus is greater than, never less than, and never equal to any of our failures? The writer of Hebrews is going to deal with this in very specific terms. We're going to start in Hebrews chapter 9, but before I read the passage that we launch into today, the language that he's going to use would be very familiar to the original readers of this book. They were knowledgeable in the Old Testament sacrificial system. They were knowledgeable that there were many types of offerings that were made. Some of them were fragrance offerings. Some of them were burnt offerings. Some of them were blood offerings. They were familiar with the type of offerings that were made for the sins of people, for the failures of men and women. And so he's going to assume that you and I have the exact same understanding. And I know we don't. But let's hold on as we read the passage together. And as we read the passage, let's discover how Jesus is greater than, not equal to, not less than, any and all of our failures. 
One of the things that the writer of Hebrews wants to do is he talked last week about Jesus being greater, greater than anything else or anyone else, is he wants to make sure that there is no one or no thing that we're building our life on besides Jesus. Remember last week he said that Jesus is greater than the angels and Jesus is greater than Melchizedek and Jesus is greater than Moses. Well, he's going to get very technical here and say Jesus is greater than any system that is put in place to make you right with God. In fact, the Old Testament system was never intended to make us fully right with God, but instead to point us to the one who would make us right with God. That's Jesus. And so we dig in. Hebrews 9, 11 through 13. Here's what the Bible says. When, Jesus, when, when Christ came as a high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, that is not made with human hands, that is to say it's not part of creation. He goes back to the Old Testament story of the people of God wandering in the wilderness and God building a meeting place for them, a tent, a tabernacle for them so that they could be with him. It says that Jesus came not through a tabernacle that was made by God's, by anybody's hand, not a part of creation because he is God, but instead, verse 12, he did not enter by means of the blood of goats or calves, but he entered the most holy place by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. So Jesus didn't come and make a sacrifice of another animal. Jesus came and made himself a sacrifice. Jesus didn't have to look for the perfect unblemished lamb because he is the perfect unblemished lamb. And he made his sacrifice for us so that we would have what? Eternal redemption. Verse 13. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of heifers sprinkled on those who are ceremonial and clean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. The writer of Hebrews says these acts where we make offerings for our sins, they sprinkle on us this cleansing that takes care of the outside. But there's a greater need among us than just being ceremonially clean. There's a greater need among us than just getting a, getting a, a refreshing, so to speak, of our fellowship with God. There must be once and all a final solution for our failure. And Jesus is that solution once and for all. The Old Testament system of sacrifices and religious ceremony offered no security and offered no hope. But what we see the writer of Hebrews pointing us to in Jesus is the fact that Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. A price had to be paid for our sins. A price had to be paid for our failures. And Jesus paid that price himself. He is the perfect sacrifice. And the blood of the Son, Jesus Christ, provides eternal redemption. Isn't it good to know that you are walking with a God who doesn't want you to feel insecure and hopeless, but instead wants you to walk securely in the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. And he doesn't provide for you and for me a temporary redemption. He provides for us a permanent, complete, total, eternal redemption in Jesus Christ. That's what he's done for us. And he did it by offering his son. And Jesus did it by offering himself. So as believers in Jesus Christ, we are for, forever forgiven of our failure. Past, present, future. We are forever forgiven of our failure. It's not temporary. It's not partial. It's not incomplete. 
It is 100% sure. And we can bank our hope today, tomorrow, and for all of eternity on this fact. And so as we look today that Jesus is greater than any and all of our failure, what else do we need to understand from the book of Hebrews? First thing is this. The Son is greater than any sacrifice. What we see God laying out for us in Jesus is the perfect sacrifice for you and for me. Today, over and over again, you're going to hear me use this phrase, any and all. Jesus is greater than any of your failures, and Jesus is greater than all of your failures. Think about that one thing that you want no one else to know about. You might consider it the biggest failure of your life. You know that Jesus is greater than even that huge failure? And that Jesus is also greater than all of our failures. You think about that huge failure and you put it in your failure bucket. Jesus is greater than that one. And that he's greater than all the little failures that we don't consider a big deal. And Jesus is greater than all the failures that we don't even notice. But that bucket, it fills up. And Jesus looks and says, I'm greater than that one thing. And I'm greater than all of your failures. You see, people sometimes try and live religious lives. Where we say, I want to make my own sacrifice. I want to make my own step to becoming good. I want to take my own step to become good before God. And the writer of Hebrews in the, in the totality of Scripture today says to us, the Son is greater than any sacrifice that you or I can make. Hebrews 9, verse 14. How much more then will the blood of Christ, through the eternal Spirit, offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God? See, religious acts clean us up on the outside. What does the Son do? What does Jesus do? He cleanses us up from the ins He cleans us up from the inside out and cleanses our consciences so that we can live a free life for God. If you are looking for freedom from your failure, look no further than the Son of God. Look no further than Jesus Christ. He is the unblemished perfect gift of God to the world. Hebrews 9, 15, let's keep reading. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of the new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from their sins, committed under the first covenant. See, Jesus offered himself, and the Bible says here, as a ransom to free us from our sins. The old covenant, the law, could only prove that we're sinners, could only prove our need for a Savior. And Jesus comes greater than any sacrifice. The Son is greater than sacrifice. He comes and gives his life for us so that we might be free, truly free from every failure. Second thing we learn, not only is the Son greater than any sacrifice, but the Savior is greater than any ceremony. And as I unpack this one for us, it's one of the things that as people from different backgrounds, religious backgrounds come to Parkway, it's one of the things that I hope they understand very quickly. Because sometimes we hear this. Sometimes we hear, when I come to Parkway, 
It doesn't feel like I went to church. There wasn't a ceremony. There wasn't a series of steps or a liturgy. There wasn't a a, a repeatable pattern in worship that I could look forward to. Y'all sing, y'all pray, y'all preach, y'all lead. Well, yeah, that's what we do. You know why? Because in the New Testament, that's the command for the church. We sing some spiritual songs, we pray together, we hear the word of God taught, we take the Lord's Supper together, and then we go live for Jesus in the world. But some people really struggle with this because when they come and they say, I want to be at a church that feels like church, here's the challenge. We come because of a Savior, not because of a ceremony. We are saved not because of a ceremony, but because of the Savior who gave himself up for me and for you. Hebrews 10, 11 through 14. Listen to how the Savior is greater than ceremony. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifice which can never take away sins. It's the futility of ceremony. It's the futility of religious acts that don't actually free you from anything. Verse 12, but when this priest, that's Jesus, had offered for all one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he awaits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Do you see the difference? The religious leaders that Jesus is greater than offered their sacrifice again and again and again. The exact same ceremony every day that didn't fix a single spiritual problem. It couldn't take the sin away. But when Jesus gave his life, when he died and was buried and was raised again, what did he do? He didn't have to keep working because the work was done on the cross. He sat down next to God. And he awaits the day when it's time for his return. He awaits the day when he will come and pronounce judgment one last time on the sin and the failures of the world. And listen to what the promise is. Listen to what the Savior does. Verse 14, one more time. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So the sacrifice that the son offered, the savior being greater than the ceremony, what does God do through that? He has made perfect forever those he is making holy. Any and all of your failures can be covered by the blood of Christ. And any and all of the areas in your life can grow to be holy, pleasing and honoring to God. As you walk with him. And it's not because of your religious activity. It's not because of any ceremony that you're participating in. It's because the son of God lives in you. And the son is greater than any ceremony. Let's keep reading Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us, through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, because all of this is true about Jesus, what's it mean for us? Despite our failure, despite our sin, what's it mean for us? 
let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Because the Savior is greater than any ceremony, because the Son is greater than any sacrifice, we hold unswervingly to the faith that we confess. We hold unswervingly. I love that word, unswervingly. We hold with perseverance, with endurance. We hold without any turn, shake, or shimmy. We hold unswervingly to the faith that we profess and the hope that comes with Jesus and Jesus alone. Friends, as you look at your life today, never forget that any and all of your failures are covered by the love and grace and mercy of God. And that any and all of your failures can be overcome by the power of the Son who's at work in you. So hold unswervingly to the faith you profess. You profess to believe in a Savior who loves you and gave his life for you. Hold fast to him. You profess to hold to a faith that says the Spirit of God lives in you and he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Don't you give up on the work of the Spirit of God in your life. You hold unswervingly to the hope and the faith that you profess. You hold to a faith that says there's coming a day when even all my wrongs will be made right so I will follow God today. Hold unswervingly to the hope and the faith that you profess. And here's why you do it. You do it because the one who promised all of this is faithful. You do it because God is faithful even when we're not. When God promises eternal redemption in Jesus Christ, he always keeps a promise. When God says, I've made you perfect and I'm making you holy, he always keeps a promise. When God says, you could put your hope in me and it works. He always keeps his promise. So today, the Savior is greater than ceremony. The Son is greater than sacrifice. And then third, relationship is greater than religion. See, that's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to get his readers and us to see. Is that God offers us not a system that only works on the outsides. God offers us not a, a sacrifice that can never make us right with God or a ceremony that can only make us feel better. But instead, God offers us a relationship with him through the blood of his son. He offers us a relationship with him through the spirit of God living in us. And this calls us to a God-first mentality and a God-first commitment. And I just want to press in for a moment and say that we can't multitask on the most important task of our life. And that's loving God with everything we've got. 
We can't say, I'm going to focus on these three things, even if these three things are good things. I'm going to focus on being a good husband or being a good coworker. I'm going to focus on being a good parent. I'm going to focus on being a good Christian. I, I'm going to focus on these things. Friends, let me tell you, if we multitask, one thing will get dropped. And we can't drop our kids because then we'd be bad parents. And we can't drop our job because then we would be unemployed and we'd be in a world of hurt. We can't drop our spouse because we committed ourselves. So when we multitask, who gets dropped if we're not careful? It's the relationship with the unseen one, the relationship with God that will slip through the cracks. It's the relationship that can change you that will be dropped. It's the relationship that can empower you to be a good parent, to be a good spouse, to be a good coworker. It's that relationship that will pay the price. You cannot multitask. If you want to be a great spouse, love Jesus with everything you've got and follow him. If you want to be a parent that honors God and raises your kids and sets priorities that are best for them, love God with everything you've got. Let your good parenting be overflow because you are walking with Jesus. If you want to excel at work, and be an excellent coworker, teammate, leader, no matter your role, no matter your place. Walk in relationship with Jesus. Because from the overflow of that, God will work in your life. See, Mike, I hear you say don't multitask, but what's that really mean? Very quickly, let me tell you what that really means. First is this. If we're going to live in relationship with God, we're going to draw near to God with a sincere heart. In fact, we're told in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. And we learned last week that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence because of our standing in God's grace. And we will receive mercy and find grace that we need. If we're going to live in relationship with Jesus, we must draw near to God with a sincere heart, no matter whether we've had a day full of failure or we've had a day full of victory. The first temptation of the human heart when we fail is to run and to hide from God. That's religion. The first temptation of the human heart when we fail is to hide. But as we look at our relationship with Jesus, we don't run and hide from our failure. We go to him with our failure. Isaiah 29, verse 13. The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that they have been taught. Friends, if you've been taught that God doesn't want you when you fail, if you've been taught that God's got a failure counter and you've had one too many and he doesn't want you anymore, these human rules are not adding to your life. They are subtracting. God wants your mouth and your heart and all of your life to be close to him. And the only way that that's possible is if you draw near to him with a sincere heart, no matter what. He's greater than any and all of your failures. 
Second, if we're going to live in relationship with him, we're going to depend upon the promises of God. This is all about trust. Hebrews 10.23 says, Hold unswervingly to the hope because he is faithful. Do you trust that God is faithful even when we're not? Friends, if he wasn't, we would never survive. We hold unswervingly to the hope that we have. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken to the glory of God. Paul writes to the Corinthian church and says, Every promise of the Old Testament was made right and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus is both our yes, he is our personal, like he's our faith. He's the one we put our faith in and he's in our amen. He's the corporate response where we all say, Jesus is the one who makes us right with God. Let me see if John MacArthur can say it better than I did. He says that all of God's Old Testament and New Testament promises of peace, love, joy, goodness, forgiveness, salvation, sanctification, fellowship, hope, glorification in heaven are all made possible and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Will you depend upon that truth? And then third, if I'm going to live in relationship with Jesus, I'm going to devote my life to pursuing godliness. I'm going to make godliness my top pursuit. Because Jesus has made me perfect in his eyes, and he's making me holy here and now, I'm going to be devoted to the work of God in my life. I'm going to be devoted to godliness. And listen to how Paul describes the growth that comes with this. Ephesians 4, 14 through 16. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Paul uses the imagery of a, a person growing from being an infant to growing to full maturity. From, growing to be, from being an infant to being an adult. From growing to be an infant to being one who can live and, and do on their own spiritually. How devoted are you to this path today, friend? See, Mike, what is that path? Well, I'm glad you asked. What's the path to pursuing godliness? And this is our last fill in the blank. Because Jesus has overcome any and all of my failures, and because I live in relationship with him, here's the path. See and take my next step. I'm going to see and take my next step. You're going to see and take your next step. This is the ongoing walk that we have with Jesus. I am going to be like an infant who learns to walk. I'm going to see and take my next step. You know why we celebrate an infant's first steps? Because it's not their last step. And we as the church must realize that after believing in Christ, we have more steps to take with God. 
like a teenager trying to figure out who they are, we're going to take our next step. Like a young adult trying to make wise decisions, we're going to take our next step. Like a couple having their first child and trying to figure out how are we going to be in charge of us and them at the same time, we're going to see and take our next step. Like an empty nester learning what this next phase of life is, we're going to see and take our next step. Because this is our journey with Jesus. It starts with believing in Christ for life. If you've never believed in Jesus for life, let me just tell you, today is your day for God's grace to be known to you personally. And you can say yes to Jesus by faith. You can believe and he will forgive your sins. He will give you life forever in heaven. His Holy Spirit will come to live in you to help you grow and change today here on earth. Friends, I invite you to take your first step, and that first step is a step of faith. If you're hearing you say, Mike, I'm already a believer. I want to see and take my next step. Well, you're opening your Bible and reading it personally. That moment in a disciple's life when they open the Bible, and they're not being taught the Bible, they're not in a small group discussing the Bible, they're simply reading it on their own. This is a key moment for you. If you have believed, but you're not regularly opening your Bible, That is your next step. If we don't take that next step, we'll be like infants. We'll be tossed about by wind and waves and by false teaching. We must open our Bibles personally. And then some will look and say, Mike, what's my next step? Well, to go public with your faith through baptism, showing the world that you have believed in Christ. That is your step. So that you can show the world that you've believed in Jesus and you're learning about him. And now you're following him with your life. You're doing what he did when he was baptized. And then you're going to look and see, I need people to encourage me. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But instead, you're going to take that step of a disciple to join a group and to, to find your place and to find your people. If you've been baptized and you're regularly in God's word and you are, you are believing and trusting in his promises, but you're not connected in community, your next step, because we aren't dealing with just one failure, we need people to help us. We need accountability to help us. Your next step is to find your spot in a group. And if you say, Mike, I've been walking with Jesus and I've got my people, I know my place. Well, if you just sit in a row and you don't know your place to serve, that's your next step. Jesus laid his life down as a ransom for many so that we would know him and so that we would go out and serve others and share his love and message with them. Friends, we all have a next step to take. And we can all take it because Jesus is greater than any and all of our failures. You can say, Mike, I can't serve. I'm, I'm a failure. Well, Jesus is greater than any and all of your failures. Mike, I can't join a small group because then people would know my stuff. Well, let me just tell you this. Everybody's got stuff. And Jesus is greater than any and all of our failures. Mike, I can't open my Bible by myself. You don't know who I was. Well, let me just remind you of who you are. You are now a child of God, and the Spirit of God lives in you, and he can illuminate and show you the truth of God's word as you open it personally. This is who you are. Jesus is greater than any and all of your failures. So look at your neighbor and share your biggest failure. We're not going to do that. Let's pray. 
Thanks for the chance, Lord, for us to open the word and to be challenged and encouraged today. God, help us. Help us, help us, help us to rely on the Son, our Savior. Help us, help us, help us to live in relationship with him, not just empty, dead religion. Lord, if we're walking through the motions and performing ceremonies before you that don't lead to life change, I pray you'd break us free from that today. Church, as you pray, maybe you need to just commit to the Lord to to see and take your next step. Maybe there's some failure in your life that you need to confess to the Lord, some sin that you need to come clean on and confess Maybe there's a place where you need to claim the victory that you have in Christ. Instead of remembering the failure, remember the victory in this moment. As the church prays, if you've never believed in Jesus for life, I invite you to make today your day. The Bible says that you're a sinner who needs a Savior and that Jesus died in your place on the cross. They buried him and three days later he was raised again from the dead to offer you life, life forever with him in heaven and a new life here on earth. If you've never believed that message, I invite you to believe. The Bible says that Jesus is the Lord and the Savior, and he invites us to believe and to find life. If today's your day, let's mark it with a prayer. You can pray. Jesus, I believe. I believe that I'm a sinner who needs a Savior and that you are the Savior of the world. Thank you for coming for me, for dying in my place, and being raised again from the dead. Today, I believe. Thank you for giving me life.